Welcome to Medical Minefield, the podcast where we talk about the ethical dilemmas at the heart of the health stories that matter the most. I'm Eve Simmons, a health journalist who spends her life asking tough questions to top experts so you don't have to. This week we're talking about the psychiatric medication lithium and why some psychiatrists are saying that it's putting patients at harm while providing little benefit to them. As always, we'd like to hear from you. If you have a question or comment, you can tweet us at MedMinefield. Now, a few weeks back, I was browsing through medical Twitter, as I often do on my days off, um, and I came across a bit of a spat involving a number of psychiatrists, and they all seemed to be arguing about the benefits of a very old-fashioned drug called lithium. Now, I was particularly interested in this, given that my grandmother was given lithium for treatment for bipolar disorder, which back when she was suffering from it was, was known widely as manic depression. And it was often talked about in my family that it was terrible that she was given this drug and stayed on it for a long, long time. And psychiatrists didn't review her prescription. And in the end, it was linked to chronic kidney problems that she suffered with. So I've always known that this drug is, what to use a, a popular term these days, problematic or can be problematic. I know, for instance, that it's often linked to a buildup of lithium in the blood and patients have to be monitored very closely to make sure that they don't develop kidney problems or thyroid problems. Anyway, I was surprised to learn then that some psychiatrists on Twitter were really passionately defending lithium um, and saying that, in fact, you know, it is a gold standard treatment that's used for bipolar disorder today. But there were a number of other psychiatrists I noticed who were outraged at this and in fact said that they were shocked to hear that the drug was still being widely recommended. One of these psychiatrists is Joanna Moncrief, who is Professor of Psychiatry at University College London. And she's widely voiced criticism on the industry of psychiatric drugs before. And she says that patients need to know about the risks that are very significant with lithium. And she's even doubting that it works at all. Now, joining me today in Barney's absence, uh, he is away this week, is our GP columnist, Dr Ellie Cannon, who has had personal and professional experience with psychiatric medication. And she understands the sort of tricky, delicate balance that doctors have to make when prescribing this kind of drug. Ellie, I was surprised to hear that such a risky drug is still being given out pretty widely. Well, I think if you looked across the board, a lot of different medications that we use both for mental illness and physical illness. Many of them have side effects and many of them can be dangerous if taken possibly in the wrong way or taken at too high a dose. Or, of course, we know medications, even when they do good, can also have massive side effects. The most obvious, clear example of that being chemotherapy. We know what that does to people while it's also treating their very serious condition. So absolutely, lithium has significant side effects and the kidney side of things that you mentioned that your grandmother suffered with is certainly very well known. But on the other hand, it is also well known that lithium as what we call now a mood stabilizer to treat mood disorders like mania or like bipolar disorder actually for some patients can be very useful. 
certainly wouldn't be the first drug you were offered when you walked into a GP surgery. And in fact, the GP wouldn't prescribe it. It would be prescribed by a psychiatrist. But it is one of the armoury of medications. There's been some concern among some psychiatrists that it's not being prescribed as much as it used to be and that it means that patients are missing out on this brilliant effect. What do you think about that? Well, look, psychiatric medication, even more so really than other areas of illness and therapeutics, is very much down to individualised care. We can't really sort of look at a protocol driven scenario with mental illness and we often have patients who may have harder to treat mental illness so as an example the patients I can think of my own patients who are on lithium are people who have got very difficult to treat depression for example perhaps very regular periods of depression when other medications have not worked or types of mania so not bipolar where you have mania and depression but just the mania where people are incredibly overactive distracted even aggressive even self-harming and for certain scenarios lithium can be very useful but as I say very very much on an individualized basis and weighing up those benefits and risks. Mm. And those are the kind of conversations or the difficult conversations that you have to have with patients aren't they because I mean I know you've been very open about the fact that you've taken antidepressants in the past for anxiety and I guess you know as a patient you have to have that understanding of what the potential risks are and that might be something that perhaps not all doctors explain maybe properly to some patients. Yeah I mean look even if you take a paracetamol it's got side effects as well as positives. We know that all medications have that. The humble ibuprofen, which is such a commonly used medication for so many different things, causes a lot of people to have heartburn and indigestion, and for some people will cause them to have really irritated stomachs. But it doesn't stop it being incredibly useful. Absolutely, we should be talking about the risks and benefits when we talk about medications. And certainly with something like lithium, that would be a whole part of the conversation. Not least because actually if you take lithium, you do have to have continuous monitoring. So you do have monitoring regarding the kidney problems that you mentioned earlier. And you also have monitoring for this specific level of lithium in your blood. So it's quite an undertaking. It's certainly not something that would be done quickly, quickly without any proper discussion. Mm. Well, next we're going to actually speak to the doctor who has first raised these concerns. On the line now is Professor Joanna Moncrief from University College London. Joanna, you have written at length about the problems that you think exist with lithium. Can you explain a little bit about that, about your concern regarding the drug? Well, my concern is that, first of all, the evidence that it's actually effective is potentially flawed. It's quite complicated, but there seems to be evidence that your risk of having a relapse after you stop taking lithium is higher than it would be or than it was before you started taking it and that fact is likely to have complicated all the studies that apparently show that it improves your risk of having a relapse so that's one issue and then the other issue is that it is a very toxic substance i think that's not in question 
And not only can you get acutely toxic with it, but it does have long-term complications, causes long, uh, damage to the kidneys with long-term use and the thyroid gland. And we really don't know what it's doing either. And I would suggest that it's probably acting as a sedative drug, as a something that damps down the nervous system. And if that's what it's doing, there are safer ways of achieving that effect. Is that with antipsychotic drugs? Because I was interested to see how, reading the NICE guidance, it seems that in some circumstances it's recommended as the first-line treatment for bipolar disorder, but in other circumstances, such as first episodes, you're supposed to try antipsychotics first. Yes, so you can use antipsychotics. I mean, I think when someone's acutely manic, they need some sort of sedative to calm them down until the manic episode has passed. And that could be an antipsychotic. It could also be a benzodiazepine or another sort of anticonvulsant drug. There are lots of different sorts of sedatives available. And anyway, actually, lithium can't really be used in that situation because it is too toxic to get the levels of sedation that are often required for people who are acutely manic. And then with long-term treatment, I, I think actually the evidence that any drug reduces your risk of having a relapse is not that strong. And obviously, some people will want to just try something because having relapses can be very frightening. But other people might want to manage their condition just by trying to recognize the early signs of a relapse and then treat the episode rather than taking a drug every day for years and years and years of their life. Do you think we should ban lithium altogether? I think we should use other drugs in preference. I'm not sure that I would say that we should ban it, but I don't think there's much justification for using it. As I say, it is a sedative substance, essentially, and if that's the effect it's producing, there are safer ways of achieving that. Why is it you think that there are some psychiatrists who are incredibly passionate about the effectiveness of, of lithium and, and you know written paper after paper on why we should keep using it and why it's important to keep using it? Well, that's a good question. I think it's partly because it's quite a medical treatment. It requires lots of tests. So it, it enables psychiatrists to read blood results and, and feel that they're proper doctors. I think that's part of it. And I think actually the other part is that if psychiatrists admitted that it was just a sedative, uh, they would have to admit that they'd been really using something that was quite toxic on people for many decades. And I think some people just can't contemplate that. Fascinating. Well, Dr. Joanna Moncrief, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Well, that was quite a damning statement from Professor Moncrief, Ellie, saying that it makes psychiatrists feel like they're proper doctors. Wow, yeah, I thought that was unbelievable, really. I mean, there seems to be, it must be very hard to be a patient within psychiatry in this day and age because there seems to be such strict tribal lines within the world of psychiatry, whether or not you are in favor of medications or not. It's incredibly polarized. The argument that something is toxic really doesn't stand up with me because I would say that so many drugs we use are toxic. As an example, chemotherapy, as an example, methotrexate, widely used as an immunosuppressant for lots of different types of autoimmune condition. So if we lose out of our armory all of the drugs that are toxic, we'll be in a tricky situation. And we do know lithium is indeed toxic. 
but that alone shouldn't be a reason not to use it. Well, right now we're going to speak to somebody who has the opposite view. Joining us now is Professor Alan Young, who is a psychopharmacologist and chair of mood disorders at King's College London. Professor Young, why do you think there's been so much controversy about lithium and offering lithium widely among some psychiatrists? Well, I don't think there's much controversy about psychiatrists that look at the evidence and evaluate it properly. But I think it's a bit of a hassle offering lithium, and I think they very often decide to take the easy way out and not go through the clinical blood tests and so on and so forth. And also, many psychiatrists now feel unskilled about doing that, which is quite surprising, really. Why do you say it's surprising? Well, because lithium has been a psychiatric drug for over 40 or 50 years, and I think all psychiatrists should be skilled at using it. But if they don't regularly use it, then they lose the familiarity with the blood tests and with the dosing and so on and so forth. And what would you say about claims of some psychiatrists that, you know, in fact, the studies aren't particularly well designed and that there's doubts over the benefits? Well, I think that those claims really don't hold up. I mean, we we do something called systematic review and meta-analysis. Systematic review where you search the literature, meta-analysis where you combine the data uh, such as can be done. There are rules and methodology for doing this. And the good quality systematic reviews and meta-analysis show that lithium treats mania, it treats depression, it prevents new episodes of bipolar disorder, it has a significant effect in reducing death by suicide and all-cause mortality. And this is not just for bipolar disorder, but also for major depression. So these are pretty good data. And I mean, really, the debate, to my mind, is I can't understand why people debate when when the evidence is there. And in the absence of new evidence which would overturn this, I think the conclusions are fairly straightforward. And what do you say about the risks? I mean, there's some doctors who will argue that the risks are quite large and significant and that the benefits in comparison to other antipsychotics aren't so huge that they're worth putting up with the risks for. What do you say about that? Well, the first thing I'd say is that lithium isn't an antipsychotic. It's a mood stabiliser. And, of course, uh, there are risks with antipsychotics. Uh, The risks include weight gain, dyslipidemia, sedation, and so on. Many patients don't really like these drugs. I mean, I use them a lot, but you've got to be aware that every drug has side effects as well as beneficial effects. Lithium, of course, does have side effects, but if used properly and monitored properly, these can be very much in the acceptable range. Now, one thing that people do worry about is the effect on, say, cognition, that's thinking skills, attention, memory, and so on. But uh, evidence shows that, in actual fact, people that respond to lithium seem to do better with these. So lithium may actually help your thinking skills. The other worry is about the long-term use, and people can be on lithium for decades, and the effect on the kidney. Now, as you get older, your kidney function tends to deteriorate anyway, and that can be exacerbated by things like being overweight and smoking and so on. But certainly there's a worry that people who are on lithium for long periods of time may be more prone to impaired kidney function, and therefore that's got to be monitored. But with correct monitoring and management, and of course information provided to the patient so they can make informed decisions, this can be a very, very useful uh, medication. In fact, it can be life-saving for some people.
I was really interested to learn. I studied the NICE guidance for a while and I was interested to see that it's the first line of recommendation for people with chronic bipolar as a sort of long term medication. But the NHS guidance recommends antipsychotics for first episode treatment. Is that right? And why is that? Yes, I mean, you know, the vast majority of people with bipolar disorder will go on to have future episodes at something somewhere way over 90%. So uh, to some extent, thinking that first episode is anything other than the beginning of quite a long journey is, is unrealistic. I actually think that uh, antipsychotics are used very often in first episode psychosis and first episode mania, which is the probably what we're talking about here, is very often grouped in with that and treated in a similar fashion. But there is evidence from colleagues in Australia and Melbourne who've used lithium in first episode mania that they actually seem to do better, not only better than with antipsychotics, but better than lithium seems to have better effects, probably because it's dealing with a brain which is more plastic and more able to respond than people who've had multiple episodes of bipolar. So if anything, I would urge people to consider using lithium in first episodes of bipolar disorder. Wow. So do you think there needs to be a change to the NICE guidance in that case? Well, NICE guidance is a bit like an oil tank that takes a long time to change. But we were very pleased that lithium was recommended as a first-line treatment in bipolar disorder. We also do the, um, the British Association of Psychopharmacology guidelines, which are complementary to NICE and in that of course you can uh, with our BAP guidance you can uh, prescribe lithium first time but I think when the NICE guidelines are revised next time there should be attention given to the fact that lithium may benefit people if they're treated very early in the stage of the illness including first episode. Mm, Because I think from what I've read it's the third line treatment at the moment for first episode so it's try an antipsychotic if that antipsychotic doesn't work try another antipsychotic and then if that doesn't work try lithium. Yeah I mean I think we may not be talking about different things because remember there's the episode but then there's the preventative treatment for relapse so very often when someone becomes manic we treat the person with antipsychotics but then when that episode is settled there's the question of longer term treatment and you know you could see a scenario where someone would have a first episode of illness be treated with an antipsychotic and then for prevention of future relapses maintained on lithium i see and one thing that i thought was interesting is that you have voiced concern that there's been a reduction in the number of prescriptions of lithium over the last kind of 20 years we're using it less often why are you concerned about that Well, I'm concerned because it's an effective treatment which would benefit many people and they may not be given the opportunity to benefit from it. So we know in bipolar 1 disorder, which is some type of bipolar disorder that has mania as well as depression, as opposed to bipolar 2, which is hypermania and depression, we know in bipolar 1, a third of people will be excellent responders to lithium. And in my patients who are excellent responders to lithium, it transforms their lives. And some of my patients who have experienced those benefits, have been tried on multiple other drugs before finally being offered lithium. And it seems to me that that's a great shame. Are there any clues as to which type of patient may benefit and be in that third? Well, it could be as simple as how much lithium gets into the brain. Now, my friend and colleague in Newcastle, Dr. David Cousins, we started work looking at how much lithium gets into the brain. Now, we measure lithium in the blood, 
but that doesn't really reflect uh, lithium in the brain. But David and colleagues have really pioneered work using a form of MRI to be able to measure lithium levels in the brain directly. So it could be as simple as the responders are the ones that get an adequate brain level of lithium. But in the European-funded study, the Arlink study, we're also looking at every other conceivable what we call biomarkers. So we're looking at genetic signatures, we're looking at circadian rhythms, we're looking at everything that we could think of. But it could be as simple as just how much lithium gets into the brain because we know that there's a marked variability and some people who are not responding may just not be getting enough lithium into the brain. Absolutely fascinating. Brilliant. Well, Professor Young, thank you so much for spending the time talking to us this afternoon. Well, thank you very much for asking me to speak. So there you have Professor Young absolutely disagreeing with everything Joanna Moncrief has said and denying that, you know, there's any truth to this idea that some of the studies are flawed and that we, we don't know that it has any benefit. He, he seemed to say that it absolutely benefits patients and we must keep using it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it must be so difficult as a patient in one of these situations to realize that actually doctors disagree so much it must be incredibly disempowering in terms of treatment but I suppose it makes me even more keen to encourage patients to look for that individualized approach because we obviously can't have a one-size-fits-all we can't have a one-size-fits-all with lithium it's far too reductionist to say it is a good drug or it isn't it's somewhere in the middle as probably with most drugs how would you advise a patient who maybe, I don't know, they've been on lithium for years or they had a family member who they knew was being advised to be prescribed lithium and they knew that it was a quite a controversial drug or there'd been lots of debate about whether it was even worth using or, or worth the risks? How would you advise a patient? Where do they go for balanced opinions on this? Well, I think a discussion with a GP is a good place because we often have a broad view of their life and what's happening with them in terms of side effects, other medications they're on, other health problems they may have, how affected their quality of life is. So it's so important to have that sort of broad discussion. And I have to say, psychiatrists I work with in the main are very good at that as well. But I think it has to be very individualized approach it has to be very broad headlines whether it's about lithium or whether it's about a commonly used drug like a statin really can't make the clinical decision for an individual patient so it's really about that one-on-one -on -one discussion for you and your healthcare provider I think it also has to be said that Joanna Moncrief is known as somewhat of a very vocal critic of psychiatric drugs. Um, and she's spoken in the past about antidepressants. She wrote a paper on how her worries about the fact that we don't know exactly how antidepressants work and how this means that there's a question mark over whether they are effective. And I know this is something that you have disagreed with her on, Ellie. Do you think that she's speaking to the same sort of view in this area as well? It certainly seemed like it, and obviously she is very against using SSRIs, which are the antidepressants that we commonly use. And then I did feel that she was saying some of the same tropes regarding lithium, 
But interestingly, she didn't seem to be against using antipsychotics, which are another type of medication. Which also have sedative effects. Which also do have sedative effects. And I think there is an issue, obviously, within psychiatry at the moment. There are huge movements away from medication. And I would always be in favour of looking at that approach that looks at medication, talking therapy, lifestyle approaches to any illness, but especially mental illness. But the fact of the matter is, for a large number of patients, psychiatric medications offer a lifeline, offer comfort. We don't have a great stash of different options for patients. And we may not know why lithium works in some people and doesn't in others. We may have to do blood tests to check people's kidneys, but we do that with a whole host of medication. And I would find it really surprising to think that psychiatrists enjoy prescribing lithium because they have to do renal function tests on a patient. Brilliant. Well, Ellie, thank you so much for joining us. You've been insightful as always. Thank you. Well, that's just about all we've got time for on Medical Minefield this week. You can read all about this topic and more in this weekend's The Mail on Sunday, which you can consume either in old-fashioned paper form, or you can go to The Mail app, or visit mailplus.co.uk. We'll be back with another topic on Medical Minefield next week. See you then. 